Welcome, one and all, to another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with your host, me, Andrew Morris. It's wonderful to be back with another new episode this week, but before we dive right in, I have a couple quick announcements. First, please head over to whatthenitch.net and check out all things that are going on with the podcast, including new merch, new episodes, and new announcements for upcoming events and guests. Second, be sure to check out a new Kickstarter campaign from a dear friend of the podcast, Brian Rodman. He is looking to begin another new comic series called The Nebulizer. And based upon the images I've seen thus far, it's going to be incredible. I attached the link for his Kickstarter in the show notes. That's all we have for this week, so without any further delay, it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we jump scare our way into the incredibly niche world of horror, merchandise design, and production. What are the things that you find terrifying? I find real life terrifying. I find what Bashir al-Assad is doing in Syria terrifying. I find some elements of our country terrifying. Movies that scared me as a, as a viewer we're all from the 50s when I was growing up and this was my formative time when I went to the movies. So a lot of old movies scared me back then when I was a kid. Uh, I went to see a film called The Fly with Vincent Price. That had a bunch of scares in it. The Thing from Another World scared me. I know how the plumbing works now, so I don't get as scared. What's one thing you think that all horror films need in order to scare people? Well, that's the basic thing they need. They need to be scary in some way. And that always goes to the story. And, and you want to get the audience to identify with one of the characters or some of the characters that they're seeing on the screen. It's always good when a horror film is well done and it's elegant and stylish, but frightening is dealing with what scares human beings. You can't kill the boogeyman. <laughs> I wanted the owners not to know whether he was human or supernatural. And he had no character. He was blank. He was simply evil. He's like the wind, he's out there. He's gonna get you. And that's what's the most terrifying. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. It's what you don't know about, what you can't see. It's out there. The avid horror fan may seem like an outsider, assumed to be a depraved human who basks in the torment of others. The recluses of the film world who seemingly hide in the darkness. Wardrobes comprised of shades of black, pale skin and gloomy hearts. Yet these associations are often miles from the truth. Horror fans are often your teachers, your doctors, your lawyers, your grocery store cashiers, and so many other things. 
and despite the genre appearing to be cloaked in mystery, it speaks to the fears to which many of us face. Everyone has likely felt the pang of panic as the lights go out during the storm. Everyone has had their heart rate increase as they hear the steps behind them in the dark alley. Being afraid is universal. No matter race, creed, or sexual orientation, terror does not discriminate. It skulks about in the shadows, waiting for its time to strike upon its unsuspecting victim. But the horror fan seeks it out and thrashes it one silver screen duo at a time. Every jump scare, grotesque scene, or mass murder unfolds before our eyes and we simply stare it down. Not out of sheer gluttonous appreciation, but more to conquer it and own the damn thing. The macabre bits of insanity wash over us, allowing a cathartic cleansing of the bastard known as fear. We challenge ourselves with these fictitious moving pictures to quench the insatiable appetite of those monsters waiting in those dimly lit recesses. And those who truly love the genre latch onto the others with an affinity for those deranged stories. Whether it be walking through the cathedrals of dread at your local horror convention, or simply making eye contact with the passerby who adorns a Nightmare on Elm Street shirt. The individual horror fan isn't alone in their love for the things which send chills down the spine. For the uniform of those demented and twisted fans can be seen everywhere. So before those who stand on the outskirts of the land where happy endings go to die, know that horror fans have big hearts, big dreams, and even bigger imaginations. And from one horror lover to all the rest of you out there, I see you. I appreciate you. And I'm proud to be a part of this dysfunctional family. That brings me to this week's guest. His name is Benjamin Scrivens. He is a husband, graphic designer, and a creator of wonderful horror merch for Fright Rags. During our chat, we discussed Ben's love for the horror genre and how he was inspired or maybe scarred by the genre at a young age. He recalls the first horror film he watched being Halloween, and he remembers this film being the genesis of his love for the genre as a whole. In our conversation, we also break down the many misconceptions people have about those in the horror world. And more specifically, we break down those that people have about Ben, being a producer of horror-themed t-shirts and memorabilia. I really loved having the opportunity to sit down with Ben. 
He was authentic and candid in his reflections about his fondness for all things that go bump in the night. And we laughed. We laughed a lot. And I hope my listeners enjoy this fantastic episode with a great dude. Uh, my name is Ben Scrivens. I'm the owner, president, CEO of Fright Rags. Um, we create kick-ass horror t-shirts and accessories uh, based on horror movies. Uh, we've been doing this since 2003, since I started it in my apartment back then. And we've since grown uh, a bit in the last 18 years. And yeah, I mean, that's what we do. We love horror and we love making stuff for horror. So I don't know what else to say about that because I don't want to, I mean, I know you said don't be humble, but <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I always try to like right before we start recording. So giving you, you know, the listeners peek behind the curtain, I'm like, don't be humble. Don't do <laughs> Just get out there and say anything you want to right. about yourself. You know, now's not the time to be like, oh, you know, I'm kind of okay with stuff <laughs> and, you know, just, just own it. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, that's enough. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, you run a really large business as far as, you know, you're probably one of the top uh, horror production uh, for as far as t-shirts and things of that go. If I had to guess, you know, cause I'm big horror nut myself. Uh, I shop with like atomic cotton. I had uh, Erica Kaufman on the, the podcast. Her and Zach are awesome. Yeah. She does great work. I bought a martyr shirt from her uh, quick plug for her. Go and check out atomic cotton. They make awesome stuff too. Um, and then I've bought stuff from, um, What's the other big one? Cavity Colors. Mm-hmm. Cavity Colors makes really cool shit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I mean, just consistently. As of tomorrow, free plug for him. Um, he is releasing a line of uh, the Hannibal series shirts. So I got the notification in my phone reminding me again today so that I can spend more fucking money. Uh, brilliant model. Uh, <laughs> but I'm totally going to buy one because that show is amazing and the shirts look awesome. Thanks. I'm pretty excited about that one. That was one that we were um, really looking forward to. We had the opportunity and, and, and just great. I mean, Mads, you know, uh, approved all the stuff with his likeness and everything. So just really cool to be able to do it. So, okay. You got to talk to Mads. Like, are you working with Matt? Like we're talking about Mads Mikkelsen, Mm -hmm. the guy that plays Hannibal Lecter on the, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the TV show version, which I'm sorry, Anthony, but based upon Thomas Harris's actual novels, he's more like the Hannibal Lecter from the book. Yeah. God, he's so good. So you do you talk to him directly or do you work with his agent? How does that work? No. So for, for Hannibal specifically, you know, that show is own. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not exactly a hundred percent sure who owns the show. I, I'm not blanking right now. Um, who put it out originally? It was, it was on, on NBC. It was NBC. So, mm-hmm. I mean, okay. so, but we, so, they work with a, a broker, like a licensing agent, and that's who we work with. So it's like a third party. So just a real br- a brief sort of explanation about this. Like if some companies and studios you can work directly with, for example, Universal Studios, we work directly with Universal Studios. There's the, It's us and them, right? And, and um, Sony's the same way and MGM. Or no, actually, yeah, MGM is now the same, is that way. But other companies uh, will use a licensing agent. So... 
Um, actually, MGM is a good example because they were using a licensing agent at one point um, where now it's a third party that handles all the licensing for them. So they still approve everything, but it goes through a third party agency. So <clears throat> with Hannibal, we're, uh, we have a really good relationship with um, the, the agency that is handling the rights for that because they handle rights for other things. They, you know, usually these agencies handle rights for multiple properties. Um, whether it's horror or not, it doesn't matter. It's just different studios they work with or whatever. Okay. So this agency that we had a great relationship, they actually came to us and they said, hey, do you want to do Hannibal stuff? And we're like, yeah, I think that would be fun. Can we use Mads though? Because that's a big thing. If we can't use a likeness, it's going to be hard sometimes. And sometimes you can do it and sometimes it's more difficult, but it's usually one of those first things you bring up in a conversation about rights, especially a property like this, which really relies heavily on that. So we said, okay, can we use him? Like, yeah, he has to approve everything. We're like, great. So when we do the work, so when Justin Osborne did his amazing piece, which I, I'm still like, it's still, I love that piece so much that he did. I'm like, oh my God, it's so gross, but amazing. And then Kyle uh, did all the other work. You know, we have to send those into the agency. They send it into, um, I guess it may have been NBC, but also Mads for his likeness. And then they get approval that way. And then it comes back to the agency and then we get it. So we didn't talk to Mads ourselves, wow. uh, but I will say this. Um, I got to meet Brian Fuller at a, at a convention. He's a really nice guy. Um, he actually is a really good customer of ours, actually he orders stuff all the time from us. And I've talked to him back and forth on Twitter and stuff. He's a really cool dude. So I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure if he had, was he, did he have to approve it? He must've, I feel bad because this was several months ago. This has been in the works for a while. So and yeah. with everything going on, sometimes I'm, I just forget because you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on and our production manager, Chris handles a lot of the approvals and stuff. I mean, I look at everything and go, okay, yeah, that's great. But he's handling all the other stuff. So sometimes I'm just like, oh, wait a minute, where was that? <laughs> <laughs> right. So How I apologize for the brain fart, but, uh, um, the base that you don't remember every mundane detail about everything that you're doing. This yeah. is ridiculous. But I feel podcast. like as far as I remember, <laughs> I had to approve his likeness. And I think Brian actually had to approve the designs that himself as well, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong on that, but, uh, but anyway, it all had to get approved and I'm just right. glad it did because, um, I, I do think it's a pretty solid first collection for it. You know? Oh, it's so dope. Uh, and I don't have a ton, you know, as a horror fan and a metal fan in general, um, it, it, you may, you may encounter this like 95% of your wardrobe is probably black. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like when you guys uh in that collection you had the white t-shirt. Yeah. Which the design is so dope on that. And it's just simple, but it's perfect. And I was like, ooh, I might snag that one because I don't have many white shirts. So that's pretty dope. Yeah, we try to start, we've been starting to pepper those throughout, like whether it's like because that one, yeah, that's like a silver white. So it's like a it's not like bright white, but it's got that you know, it's silver, so it's still like a little bit dimmer than a full white. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to pepper those throughout collections. You know, it's so funny. We get people every time we release a shirt or something, it's like, I have too many black shirts, do other colors. And then you release another color, they're like, Well, will that become in black? <laughs> like, oh boy, well, which is it, you jerk? All yeah, right. it's it's funny. I mean, and I understand, I get it. Yeah. I laugh at it. It's it's mostly for fun. It's just funny to think about, but um, it does happen all the time. So, you know, we try we really do try to release other colored shirts at times, but Black sells the best. It just does all yeah. the time. So we have to make decisions around that. I mean, 
you know, we can't afford just to put a bunch of stuff out and not sell it. <laughs> I mean, right. We wouldn't be in yeah. business, but we try, we do our best to try to do different things. And sometimes if people see a first collection, they think that's the only thing we're ever going to do. I'm like, no, if, if this goes well, we're going to do more for this property. You know what I mean? Like I just, we don't want to put out 30 shirts per collection. I mean, we don't have the room for that stuff and we're putting out stuff every week. And inevitably not all of those are going to sell. So we have to be strategic about what we do. Yeah. I, yeah. It's smart. And I mean, it's a good business model and you know, you don't want to, you want to put out variety, but yeah, you want to keep it tapered in so that, you know, you it's feasible, you know, and mm -hmm. it's kind of cool the way you guys do things in and out of the vault and stuff like that. Uh, so for people that aren't uh, familiar, they'll put things in the vault and then you can vote on it and bring it back. And uh, it's kind of neat. It's a, it's a cool business model. I think it's kind of, uh, it keeps it fresh, I think. Uh, and I'm, it keeps me buying stuff. So good job on you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, we try to do that. <laughs> I mean, allow people to request prints because that way it gives us a gauge on what might be popular to bring back. Because at this point, our catalog is over a thousand designs. Jesus. I mean, and not for anything, but like a lot of those happened in the last 10 years. I mean, yeah, prior to that, yeah, we had a ton, but we have a ton of, like, if you took the movie Halloween, for example, we have a back catalog of designs for that film that we could never have to do a new design again and just keep reprinting the old ones. But we want to keep things fresh and then we want to cycle through things at times. And sometimes things just kind of fall off in favor, but you can bring it back two years later and it does really well. So I mean, if I had a crystal ball, we'd be able to do everything perfectly, but I don't. So you have to do a lot of guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, um, before we get too far in, um, I really like to start these conversations uh, and giving people an opportunity uh, in these specific niches, uh, an opportunity to kind of address some of the assumptions that people might make about them. And you being someone who runs a business, but not just a business, you run a horror themed business. So I'm sure you have odd, oddly specific uh, things that probably people assume about you. So what are some of those things? Um, I guess if I'm thinking from the business side, I think there are times when I, when people just assume that as soon as you get the license for something, you can do whatever you want. Um, because we will put stuff out and you'll, you'll get questions like, why didn't you do this? Or why, you know, why didn't you show this person or why didn't you do this? And it's like, because we couldn't, <laughs> like, we're not allowed. And I think sometimes what muddies the waters a little bit is because there are a lot of companies that still do unlicensed stuff and bootleg stuff and they just do whatever they want. So when we put out official stuff and it doesn't have a person's likeness on it or whatever, it's like, why did you not do that? And, and I'm not putting down anybody who's doing unlicensed stuff and that's their own thing. But I think what happens is it, on it, from a consumer standpoint, it might come across as like us making a specific decision not to do it rather than us being limited by it. So I think that tends to be a misconception I see once in a while. Yeah, it kind of sucks that like you're getting uh, a little blowback from doing things the right way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and honestly, it kind of sucks in our end because we want to do it the right way. And yet when we pay a lot of money to get the rights to do it the right way, and then we are basically limited by what we can do. I mean, a good example kind of in the Hannibal theme but with Silence of the Lambs, we can't show uh, Anthony Hopkins with a mask on. We can't even use the mask. We couldn't even use the back of a woman 
that didn't even look, I mean, we had a design all ready to go. It was gorgeous. And there was a woman walking down the hallway where, you know, where Lecter is, you know, in the prison. And it was just the back of her with the skirt and the back of the hair. You don't, there's no face. There's nothing. And they're like, you can't even do that. And we're like, huh? it's not Jodie Foster. I mean, I can understand if we tried to show part of her face or whatever, but that could literally be anybody at this point. It's not her, but they wouldn't let us do it. And again, they have their reasons. There's contracts. There's other things. I'm not putting that down. It's just, it's frustrating on us, you know, from, from that standpoint. So when we do put things out and we try to be as creative as we can, and I like creative limitations. Don't get me wrong. I like kind of having to work around that. Um, and I, and our artists, you know, the people that we use most of the time do an amazing job working around uh, limitations, but there are times where you're just like, ah, oh, I wish we could have done that, but we can't. Yeah. It- <laughs> And the Jodie Foster thing, <laughs> it gets into a whole different conversation. Yeah. And, and I don't, and to be fair, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's in her camp. I don't know if it's a contract. I, I really don't know. And I don't blame anybody. It just happens to be the issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it could be any number of reasons. And and I know <laughs> notoriously uh, using the likeness of um, Linda Blair. Uh, I know mm. that that's a big one uh, for whatever reasons that she may mm. have or whatever. Uh, I met her at a con. It was very interesting. Uh, I'll I've say that. I've heard that. I've never met her and we've <laughs> never had to deal with her in you know, a likeness issue or whatever, but uh, yeah. I've, I've heard those things, but yeah, I don't have any personal experience. She was just very particular in the things that she would sign. Like I'd bought some mm-hmm. stuff at the con uh, that some of the artists had put together uh, and, and wanted her to sign it. She wouldn't. Uh, she was very specific. She would only sign the things that were at her table, um, which is whatever. Um, I won't say she, she wasn't mean or rude or anything like that, but she was just very particular. It was kind of weird. You're like, this is the thing you're most known for. Like, uh, why won't you sign this? Like, um, but you know, it is what it is. And you always, you know, you're going to meet some characters, you know, not, and they meet thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So it's, it's easy to see how somebody might be tired and, you know, maybe having a rough day, you know, um, but 95% of the people that I've had the, uh, the opportunity to meet have been super cool. Yeah. So, same here. Same here. Yeah. And I'm curious on that, like uh, working um, with what you do uh, probably offers you some unique privileges. I would imagine. Um, I'm just curious, what would be like one of the most memorable experiences that you've had as far as like celebrities or heroes of yours in the, the horror genre? Oh man, that's a really good question. And, and you're right. I've been incredibly blessed and fortunate to have had so many experiences in in this industry and community that it, it's it's really hard to pick one I, I i will pick this one because of its um sort of unique nature of, of of what it was and i almost hate bringing it up because i don't want to sound like i'm gloating or being like i don't know I don't know. I just don't want to sound like I'm gloating because I feel like, you know, when you start talking about things, you start talking about people and it feels like you're just name dropping. And I hate that. Like, I just, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's like one of those things where I just don't want to, I don't want to come across that way. But um, I was able, I was very fortunate to be able to visit the set of Halloween kills back in October of 2019. Oh, snap. Yeah. And it was one of those situations that came up 
And I didn't necessarily expect that it would ever happen, but it did. And I took the opportunity because who wouldn't? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like you get that opportunity, you do it, right? Yeah, and you meet literally, Bella Screen Queen. It literally came to me on a Friday night. Like I knew there was inklings of it possibly happening. I was talking to a couple people that I knew and and Friday night they were basically like, be here Monday. I'm like in North Carolina, I'm like done. Like already <laughs> yeah. the flight's already booked. I'm telling my wife and kids I'm going away for a couple of days. So I flew down to North Carolina and was in Wilmington and um, got my hotel. And it was so funny. The hotel I got, it's one of those, like you have to walk outside to the, like the door opens to the outside. So there's like, like the balconies are overlooking outside, you know, and it's not like an indoor hotel type of thing. And I was walking to my room and I looked out across the way and I saw Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. They were shooting right across the street from where I live. So, and it was the back of another building that they had, they had kind of dressed to be the hospital. So got in my room, whatever, was supposed to be on set around 6.30 that night. And I'm friends with a couple of the producers and that's kind of how I got the opportunity. So texted my buddy and he's like, yep, uh, come on down. So I get there and they were actually filming the scene. I think it's okay to say this, but I think it's, uh, they're filming the scene right after 2018 ends. So they're in the truck, the three women. So Jamie Lee Curtis, Trudy Greer, and Annie Medchek are in the truck coming to the hospital, head and Field Memorial Hospital, right? Now, they were filming other scenes there as well, but that particular moment, they were in film this. So my, my buddy's like, oh, by the way, this is Jamie's first night back on set since 2018. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> holy shit. So um, I'm sorry, can I swear? I didn't know if... <laughs> I think I've dropped like three F-bombs. Okay, good. Yeah, I wasn't sure. <laughs> you just never know. So yeah. anyway, uh, you know, Anthony Michael Hall was there and, and Nancy Stevens was there and um, Kyle Richards was there. And like, and I, and, and I was hanging out in the video of Village and sitting, I got to sit in freaking Michael Myers' chair, James Jude Courtney's chair, because he wasn't on set that night. So they're like, oh, you need a chair. So they just propped up and it said the shape on. And I'm like, holy crap, like I'm sitting <laughs> in the shape's chair. So anyway, we're all sitting around and we're talking and, I'm just like, I don't want to even move because I just don't want to disturb anything about anything because like, who the <laughs> hell am I? I don't want to want to touch anything because I'm not, it's like, I'm not even, it's like clerks. I'm not even supposed to be here today, you know? <laughs> right. And so I'm literally, and I met David Gordon Green and he was wearing a Halloween jacket, which was rad. And I got a picture with him. Like, it was just, I'm already like freaking out. Well, anyway, no joke. I go to turn to take a picture of the sunset because it was pretty and Jamie's like standing, it was probably about 15 feet away. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, <laughs> so I took a picture and I'm like, and I'm not trying to take a lot of pictures because I don't want to be that guy. Cause you know, I just don't want to be, I just don't want to even be seen because I don't want to get in the way of anything. So I'm hanging out and no joke about five minutes after I saw her out of the corner of my eye in this direction, she comes up to me and she's standing right there and she's like holding herself because her She's got blood all over her because she's dressed up for the part. She's in her Lori uh, makeup. And I looked up and I'm like, oh, hi. I'm like, do you need a Band-Aid or something? And she just laughed it off. And so a uh, producer friend of mine and her started talking, but we all started talking together. And obviously they're friends because they know each other, but I'm just some dude. And I didn't introduce myself or anything because I didn't, again, I didn't want to be that guy. Like, I didn't want to be like, oh, by the way, I'm blah, 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 blah. You know, like, right. how am I? but I'm just part of the conversation and we are talking about Knives Out and, and when it was coming out, cause it hadn't come out at that point. And it's just, just normal everyday conversation. She was super cool. And it was like a 10 minute 
15 minute conversation. Then she goes, oh, I see some fans across the street. Um, I'm going to go say hi to him. And she just like beelined it across the street. And it was funny because I didn't tell anybody except for my family and, you know, my employees and stuff that I was uh, going to this, you know, like I wasn't trying to, I did not want to make any sort of public announcement or whatever until I was okay to, to do so or whatever. I just didn't want, I didn't think it was a good idea to do it. And the next morning, cause I was there for a couple of days, I got to go on set for two night shoots and they were like 12 hour shoots. Um, the next morning I was getting these texts and, and DMS and stuff like, are you on the set of Holland kills? Are you on the set? I'm like, how the hell does anybody know I'm here? <laughs> and it comes out that some of the people across the street were taking these photos and you could see me and Jamie Lee Curtis and a few other people just sitting around. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, so some people recognize me. I was like, that's freaking crazy. So Again, that's that's probably the one that I think of the most because I never thought I would meet her because and I don't I mean, I I mean, I guess I did meet her. I didn't introduce myself or shake her hand, but I talked to her. Right. Like I got to stand next to her. Um, that well, was a really cool moment. Probably more authentic in, in that situation. Like you kind of got more a real her then you yeah. probably would have gotten at a con or something like that, you know, where it's not necessarily saying that they're putting it on, but they only have a fragmented section of time. You know, they got 20 yeah, seconds. You're kind of in a line. And that's why I didn't go to horror hound when she was there. And I kicked myself every day since then for it. Um, although this encounter <laughs> clearly helped ease that yeah. um, because I was worried that it would become like this cattle call thing where it's like, blah, 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 blah. And you move along and whatever. I should have just gone anyway, because when the hell else was I going to meet her? Right. This right. was back in what, 2012 or whatever. But then I heard so many great stories about her and I watched the documentary. And I was like, what the hell dude, just freaking go and do it. And I didn't, <laughs> Right. but you're right. I think this way was probably a little bit more like authentic in a way, I guess. Yeah. I uh I had a not as grandiose as an experience with uh with Kevin Smith. Mm. And uh you know my wife being the wonderful human that she is on our wedding anniversary we go to an evening with Kevin Smith. That's the you know the tours that he was doing where he just had open mm -hmm. conversations with his fans. What a cool idea. We're in a room of 200 people. You know I'm like the likelihood that he picks me pretty small. And um, I'm raised my hand and my wife raises her hand. Of course, she's like, I'm just going to pass it off to you, you know, cause I know you're going to geek out. So she, he ended up calling on me, which I was like, what? And, awesome. but I thought about the question that I was going to ask. I had it ready. Uh, at that time I was doing another podcast, something that didn't really take off. You know, I didn't really stick with it. Uh, and I asked him about it, you know, and then he, what was amazing about it was how engaged he actually was with me. He gave me a 15 minute response. It was wow. insane. But what was really fun was I asked him a question about one of uh, one of my favorite films of his. That's just goofy Tusk, which I'm sure you've seen. <laughs> yeah. And um, for those that don't know, if, you, if you've seen the film and you should go see it, if you haven't, I asked him a question about the scene with Justin Long and Michael Parks um, and Michael Parks is laughing in the scene. Um, Justin Long has just woken up and it doesn't make sense that he's laughing in the scene. And I, I never could understand why. And I asked Kevin Smith and he's like, Oh snap. He's like, I'm glad you asked that. And he always has a story for everything. Mm -hmm. And he's like, 
interestingly enough, in that scene, what is happening? He's like, you're right. It doesn't make sense that he laughs. But the first time that he read the script, he thought I was kidding. I gave him the script. You know, he had done Red State with me and I absolutely loved him in that film. And I was like, yeah, me too. And um, I gave him this script and he's like this. What? I'm going to turn him into a walrus. Are, are you serious? So he was so like over, over the moon about the ridiculousness of the story. So that first scene in which he's talking about turning him into this walrus, you know, and the, the, he's already thinking in his head that he's going to the point Z he's going right. to the end of the story in right. his head in the scene. Right. Right. And he just can't stop from laughing. Cause he's like walrus. He's like, I'm going to make him a walrus. This is ridiculous. And then he goes into this long story about how Justin long and Michael parks didn't necessarily get along. Hmm. And it wasn't any fault of Michael parks. It's just how he is. And Justin Long is like super great improv guy, like happy go lucky, like one of the most likable dudes on the planet. And he just didn't get that this guy wasn't really opening up to him. Mm. And there was a bit in that scene that Justin Long knew he thought this whole thing was so ridiculous. So he's like poking him about the thing. And he's like, so you're going to give me like big crazy teeth and like saying all these ridiculous things that didn't even make it into the film. And he just breaks Michael Parks, who's like notorious for being very on it, you know, very serious about what he's going to do, going to nail it on the first take. That's his goal, you know, and just breaks him. He just falls out laughing. And he said from then on, they were buddies. They went out and grabbed like a 20 minute long smoke and they came back in and they were like best buds. That's awesome. And I got all that from one little question about why did he laugh in that scene? And Kevin Smith just gives me this perfect answer and he's focused on me the whole time. Like he's just, we're just chatting and I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, that does make sense. And you know, he's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it was a conversation and it was just so cool to, you know, cause a lot of times they say, don't meet your heroes, mm-hmm. you know, but he is not that person. You know, he is just everything that you see in the podcast, just as friendly as could be. And, made my night and my wife was like you know it's super great that on our anniversary that i was the second most important person to you in that room and I was like, <laughs> well <laughs> you know maybe um you're not wrong um but, but that's that's a unique opportunity and and i i you know everything i love kevin smith and you know i just i think i love him more than his movies not that i don't like his movies don't get me wrong but i think him as a person from what i've seen and now you're you know you're confirming a lot of this for me because i've never met him but everything i've seen and heard and you know podcasts and stuff it's like that guy just seems like a guy that i want to hang out with and just talk to and again i I have nothing against his films it's just like sometimes i you know i love clerks and i love mall rats and and stuff but um in chasing amy i just rewatched again you know recently and i'd forgotten how great that movie was but and, and obviously some of the more recent ones and he's definitely got his thing, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Got his thing. It's a Kevin Smith thing. And it's, it's not something I always gravitate toward, but I respect the hell out of him and what he does. It's like Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie is Rob Zombie. Like you can't go into a Rob, like my friend uh, went to go see 31 with me and I'm like, did you like it? He's like, no, man. I'm like, well, do you like all the Rob Zombie films? He's like, not really. I'm like, then why did you think you <laughs> If you Did don't you think like all of other, a sudden it was going to change? It's like, yeah, it's like going to McDonald's and having a Big Mac every day and going, God, this sucks. Well, it's never going to change. <laughs> it's the same exact thing every time. And I'm I not really again, wanted a whopper. 
I love Rob Zombie and I love his films and and but I I know what I'm getting when I'm watching a Rob Zombie film and that's yeah. completely fine and I appreciate that you know. Yeah, that that's exactly right, and I and I respect somebody that will, especially in a business that can be, um, you know, sometimes can manipulate people into doing yeah. creating this you know cookie cutter <laughs> package thing, which I get it because it's the business and they mm -hmm. about making that money. So sometimes you can understand that, but somebody like, you know, Kevin Smith or Rob zombie sticking to their voice. I love it's it. Very difficult. I, I it's um, funny. I, um, not to sidetrack or anything, but thinking of Rob zombie, I actually got to meet him once too. And we were chatting about, cause we, uh, sorry if I'm derailing this, but it just, made oh, me think you're fine. um, he and I have been kind of working together for the past several years. Cause we work, that's another person I get to go to directly for certain properties that we work with him. So he and I speak directly, which is like incredible because I love, I like genuinely love his music and movies and stuff. And I got to see him backstage at a show a few years ago. Um, he was gracious enough to be like, yeah, I come backstage after the show. And I'm like, Whoa, that's amazing. But anyway, we were talking, just chatting, right. Just hanging out. And this was like 10 minutes after he got off stage and he's just hanging out with me. Like, like no other care in the world. But, um, what I was going to say is, it, to that point is he was like, I wouldn't even, cause we were talking about movies and, and the business. And he goes, yeah, man, he goes, if, if, even if I had a meeting in like, I think he said like Santa Monica or something, cause it's, you know, we're talking about LA traffic and stuff. Mm -hmm. He's like, I wouldn't even go to it. I don't even care. Like I wouldn't even go to that meeting for a new movie. Cause I don't like the traffic. <laughs> so it's like the conviction. He's like, he doesn't give a shit. He, you know, it could have been anything. And he's like, I'm not going to deal with that traffic. So no, <laughs> you know, I love that though. I love that conviction. Yeah. Like, well, you know, and he has the benefit of, you know, being a, you know, world renowned rock star. So, yes, you know, right. he, he kind of gets to write, like at this point he gets to create his own sure and write his own ticket basically. And, um, Kevin Smith does that too. You know, he's been in the business long enough and, you know, but they both got there by doing that too. It's not like they succumb to the system early on to then become that Very point. True. I feel like they both Kevin Smith and Rob Zombie are good examples of people who really stuck to their convictions the entire time. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, Kevin Smith started with clerks for God's sakes that he raised that money on credit cards, you know, and yeah. And, and Rob, I mean, he didn't change his vision for Halloween, you know, like, things like that. Like I, I read in our house, thousand corpses, obviously was this first movie, but even for something like Halloween, which could have been diluted because of other studios, he stuck to his guns. And I, even Halloween too, there was a lot of back and forth of that. And you have the studios to get involved, but he said, I'll fucking walk from this movie two days into it. So yeah. I, I respect the fact that, yeah, you're right. They have gotten to a point where they can do that, but they've kind of been doing it their whole. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I know one of the things that prompted me to reach out to you, um, we do have like similar circles. Like I, I realized when I, I reached out to you, I'm like, Oh shit, we got like 20 mutual friends. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this makes sense. Uh, but you had posted something on Instagram. You posted a story about how you kind of got into the world of horror and uh, you know, how you got into, you know, having a passion for it. And I was wondering if you could, you know, I know it's lightning in a bottle, you know, but if you could share like that passion, like what made you passionate about horror and what made you passionate about wanting to create something and making this your livelihood? I mean, you know, in terms of horror itself, I mean, it started at a very young age. I mean, I was four years old. It was 1981. It was October 30th. And I, I was, we were literally at a family friend's place. They own a deli where we used to live um, in downtown Rochester. 
New York. And they lived, the, the family that owned the deli lived in the back and above the deli. So they kind of lived in the same building as their store. And I remember always the back of it being, it was like sort of a living room slash kitchen slash dining room area, like one big room. And we were there. So it was the night before Halloween. Um, and we're hanging out. I think they were having a party, Halloween party. And again, I was four and my brothers and sister are older than me. So they're off hanging out with other kids or the, I think our friends, our family friends there, their kids. My parents are sitting at the table drinking coffee and probably playing cards or something. And I'm just like this four-year-old kid, like, mom, like, let's go. And <laughs> I'm bored. And she's like, you know, go watch TV. Cause that's what you did. You know, just go watch TV. It's an eighties. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Classic eighties. Like just go sit in front of the TV, find some shag carpet, sit on that shit and leave me alone. <laughs> it's exactly right. So I went over to that big console TV and turned it on, a, you know, one of three stations. Right. And, uh, plunked down and it was right when Halloween came on and I'll never forget it. I just sat there and watched it and nobody knew what I was watching. I was off in the corner and I didn't even know what the hell I was watching. You know, I was four. So what all I'd seen up to that point was Popeye and Charlie Brown and, and um, Scooby-Doo and stuff like that. So it really affected me in a way that I wasn't really scared by it at the time, but it really left an indelible mark. I wasn't scared because I didn't think I knew enough to be scared, you know, right. um, as I got older. Yeah. That freaked me out for sure. But I just remember that left a mark on me, you know, and it, that I just carried with me. So I almost don't ever remember not liking horror, if that makes sense, because that literally like, what do you remember before four really not much. So <laughs> I don't remember not wanting to watch horror movies. It's always I was more of a romantic comedy person when I was in the womb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I went through a drama phase at one and a half, but, yeah. um, you <laughs> like, know, really into Scorsese, you know, I really liked this film, you know, cinematography was good, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I relate as we got, as I got a little older, I mean, this is the boom of, um, the, the beginning and, and into the boom of the uh, home video era. And my, my dad had bought a beta because Rochester was actually a testing ground for beta and VHS to see which format would win out. And we bought beta, of course, um, which is superior. Um, but uh, a lot of people it, say that, yeah. But just apparently it is, but VHS went out because of the long play. But at that time, beta was still pretty, you know, easy to get. And, you know, it was all mom and pop stores. It wasn't Blockbuster or anything like that yet. So, I would just always go to the stores and look at the video covers and see what had had a person that was out killing like kids or people and they had a mask. Like I just wanted to see more of that. And that's just what really sparked it. And then, so my entire life essentially has been into this stuff. And it's funny because clearly this is pre-internet days. So it's not like I had forums or message boards or find other people to connect with it was my friends and my friends didn't necessarily gravitate toward it. It was really because I was like, Hey, let's rent Halloween again, or let's rent this movie. And they were sort of into it that way, but I was sort of the catalyst for it. Um, and then one of my good friends, Tim, he and I grew up definitely to watch movies together. I mean, that was our bonding sort of thing. So he was definitely like my best friend and we would watch horror movies together. So he, I did have a partner in crime in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, up until the dawn of the internet, I didn't, it, you know, I knew there was other people out there. I mean, I read Fangoria and, and, you know, I knew there was conventions and stuff, but I was in my own world. And then as I got older and things, 
I was always a creative person. I always liked to draw and write and, and make things. I always wanted to make something and I never, it's not like I ever ran a business or anything. I just always wanted to create. And so after college, I'd gotten a job and I was working for a while and I was a graphic designer for a laptop bag company and um, here in Rochester. And it was a really small company, which was cool because I got to see a lot of the inner workings of a business. I'd worked for larger companies in the past um, because I'd gone to college, then I quit and I worked for Kodak and then I went back to college for four years. There was a lot of things going on. It wasn't a traditional path. So by the time I got out of college, I was a little bit older. I was 23 and um, not that that's old, but at the time, you know, you're usually used to graduating when you're like 21 or something, whatever. Um, anyway, I was just, I just had a lot of creative energy that I didn't know how to release. And at the time I was a part of all these message boards that uh, were involved, not in just horror movies, but horror props and replicas and things like that. And so one of them was Night Owl Forums run by my really good friend, Justin Mavery, who now, who went on to create Trick or Treat Studios. Um, at the time, you know, I gravitated toward his site because he made the best Michael Myers masks. In addition to other things, he did Jason masks and other stuff. Um, but I always wanted the Michael Myers mask. I mean, the very first thing I ever typed into an internet web crawler was Michael Myers, you know, a Kat Shatner mask 75. Like that's the first thing I ever typed into the internet because I wanted to see where I could get one. Anyway. Um, are, you, are you just saying that because we're on the podcast? You sure it wasn't porn? No, that was probably the second. <laughs> no, it was the third second thing. Second search, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was actually, it was actually in our college, like computer, like room. And we didn't, you know, so I, I, ah, I not the right I, place. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to the dorm. No, of course. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I was just really, and, and he and I, when I found his forum, he and I kind of struck up a friendship and we would just constantly talk to each other for, sorry, my daughter was over there. Um, How dare she? <laughs> we would constantly talk, I mean, for hours, like we would get on the phone and it would be like four hour conversations that we would have on a regular basis. And because he and I are the same age and we have very much the same sensibilities of things. And anyway, I had these ideas and I was like, you know, I always loved weird shirts, like weird sort of quirky shirts. Like if we went on vacation, I always had to have the perfect shirt for me. Like, no, that's not right. That looks right. Like I just had a weird sense of, I say weird, but it's my own sensibility that I had that I wanted to wear certain things or, you know, it was my own taste. And I realized I didn't, I love horror movies and I love these weird quirky shirts, but I've never had a horror shirt. I think the only thing I ever had was an Anger Bay Halloween shirt that was a promo thing. And I looked up online and I found Rotten Cotton, who I think I've heard of in the past, because um, Sean Lewis, who started that, started Blackheart Media and everything. And I was like, okay, these shirts are great, but it's not something I would wear. It's not, it's, that's not sort of my thing. I wanted something a little different. And then I came up with the idea, WW Hockey Mask D. So what would Jason do? Because at the time, what would Jesus do was kind of popular. And I just, as soon as I came up with that, I thought that's pretty funny. I think I'd wear that, you know, like that's, that's not just a normal t-shirt that just says something that I think is kind of fun and nobody had done it before because I searched Google and I couldn't find it so I was like okay maybe this hasn't been a thing yet and so that kind of led me to do another shirt with just a hockey mask and then I did one with like a Michael Myers looking thing where it's a trick or treat on it and anyway Justin liked them he's like you should post them on my board I'm like if you don't mind and I think he actually posted them himself and all these people started writing in like I would totally buy that that looks really cool blah 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 I was like, huh, 
I wonder if I could actually do this. Like, could I make something and sell it? And it really kind of scratched this itch. And there was this positive affirmation about like, maybe I could do this. So I literally came up with a name and I was like, fright rags. Like I, I had all these words for horror and all these words for shirts. And I started doing this like mis like <laughs> no joke. And I came up with fright rags and, you know, having been in, gone to school and learned graphic design, I could at least put together a website. I had a hand coded HTML and I had to link up the PayPal Ugh. buy now button and every link had to be in the same spot and you know, all that stuff from 20 years ago. And I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I literally bought 60 shirts. I'm, I'll never forget this. I was at work and I was hovering over the button because I was buying them off a website as opposed to getting them locally. And they were like 10 bucks a piece for a one color shirt, which was crazy. Yeah. And I was buying 60 shirts, you know, 20 of each design of these three. And I'm like, I don't have $600. I don't have it. I have a credit card, but I don't yeah. have this money. And at the time my wife and I were getting, you know, we were planning our wedding and I did it. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I I don't know what I'm doing. I literally don't know. I'm just going to try to sell some of these things. And I put up the website. It was little after it was like around Labor Day of 2003. And, you know, I started getting some orders and it was just so wild when people started ordering. So it really was like this cool connection because people would see what I did and want to give me money for it. And I would send it out to them. And it was just, that really sparked something. And, and I, I, I'm not going to say it was like the rest is history because it, it, it wasn't because, I mean, you got to really pimp your stuff out there because, you know, the first wave of orders comes in and then it's like nothing because nobody knows who you are. And that's how it was for the first few years, you know? Yeah. So did you, do you feel like uh, the conventions were the thing that really kind of like started to blow you up or what was the thing that maybe like really put you on the map? Honestly, I think it was time. And this is why I say that because conventions are great. Don't get me wrong, but I was never a person and still we aren't as a company that does a ton of conventions. I mean, I know a lot of my friends who are on the circuit all year and I feel really bad for them because of COVID and what happened, but they go to every single show. It's Frightmare, it's Wasteland, it's Chiller, it's Horror Hound, it's Monster Mania. It's, you know, the list goes on, right? we literally do at most three shows a year, you know, and that's on a, you know, a big year. I mean, we generally do two monster manias and, and a horror hound. And then back then I, I didn't start doing shows to 2005. And even then I was doing just monster manias, you know, so shows have a, something to do with it, but I don't, I think it was time. I think, you know, in 2006, I had a bit of a break with Hot Topic. They ordered like 8,000 of the What Would Jason Do shirts. Um, Mm -hmm. That was after I had to redesign it because I got a cease and desist from New Line Cinemas because the hockey mask. So I had to redesign the hockey mask. And as soon as I did that, Hot Topic scarfed them up. And what I did is I made sure that the Hank, because we, you know, with Hot Topic in any store like that, you have to make them retail ready. So you have to fold them. You have to put the size stickers on them. You have to put the hang tags and the the price tags on them you have to do everything so when they're delivered to those stores they have to just put on the shelves right so with the hang tags with the 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 price tag i put my own hang tag on there that said fright rags too Mm -hmm. so people had the website they could go to um and it was just honestly grinding just grinding collecting email addresses sending out newsletters releasing new stuff you know getting on social media and that became a thing and just being out there like daily 
hourly practically, you know? Um, and I just think over time, that's what built up our following. Yeah. And I appreciate stories like that because a lot of people are looking for that Eureka moment. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, this was the big thing. Like John Carpenter just happened to walk by me in the mall and, you know, in between a slurp of his slurpy, he's like, I like your shirt. And then, you know, it's, it's usually not that it usually is the grind, you know? And it's funny that you, you bring it up because I hadn't thought about it, but there really wasn't shirts like that when I was a kid, mm. you know, it wasn't readily available. Now you have, Freddy Krueger shirts at fucking Walmart. It's yeah. insane. Like they legit well, had them one year. And it's it's funny you say that. Um, and I don't mean to interrupt. I was just no. thinking, um in 2006 when they when Hot Topic bought the What Would Jason Do shirts, they also jumped in and bought the Obey shirt that we did. This was pre-licensing, by the way. And Wolfman's got Nards for Monster Squad. And I'll I'll tell you right now, and I'm I'm I'll be honest. I was like, shit, man, I got this made. Like Hot Topic <laughs> wants my shit. This is it, man. I'm and at the time I was still working my full-time job. I didn't quit that for five years, but I was like, I got this made. I was kind of getting, I would say I was getting a little cocky about it because I figured, oh, well, shit, they're just gonna buy my stuff. And you know, they're ordering thousands of shirts, right? And so what happened was they ordered uh, I, I think they ordered a thousand of each shirt, they let or the obey and, and the um Wolfman's got Nards for a test run. And I was so curious to find out like how they were doing and literally on halloween night um i got an email from the buyer and he's like yeah these are probably some of the worst performing shirts that we've ever had and by the way we're probably getting out of horror shirts and i was like oh shit man and at that, <laughs> but what i was going to say and at that moment i realized i'm not relying on anybody else except myself and my website to do this shit i'm not relying on a spencer's or hot topic or any other store to dictate how my business is going to do but you my point was yeah at that time these types of things weren't as readily available and i feel like it's you know it's a lot different nowadays yeah because i, I realistically i'm thinking back to my my childhood the most horror type shirts that you could get was like an iron maiden shirt you know, yeah. or something like that. You know, of course, they always have their epic artwork and things of that nature. But like, I don't remember having like my favorite horror films until on a shirt until like 2000s, yeah. you know, in the 1990s of the closest I had was like an ICP shirt and like an Iron Maiden shirt. I think I had a, a Metallica shirt that was kind of creepy. But yeah, there were like no film shirts that I had until I was an adult. Yeah. And I was listening to your story and it's so similar to mine and, and how you got into, you know, your love and your passion. Cause I'm like you, I don't remember a time that I didn't watch horror movies, you know, because in what's maybe different than some people, I didn't have like that best friend that I watched horror movies with that didn't really happen until I got much older. Mm. Um, probably like my early twenties, you know, when I was able to get out on my own and, you know, really find my own group. Um, even in high school, like I just played a lot of sports, you know, me and my, my best friends would play basketball until the sun went down. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents were my horror people, which That's was different. And, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, but like Friday nights for our family was like movie night. And, you know, my parents both worked their asses off and we were poor as shit, but 
we were able to, you know, and if it wasn't every Friday, it was every other Friday. And we went to the Roadrunner video or the uh, the Red Giraffe. Uh, it changed a couple times. You know, some of the, the smaller ones um, near our house. And we just scoured the shelves, man. We watched some of the worst shit, you know, but we watched it together and we laughed at it. You know, if it sucked, we found it fun making fun of it, you know, and we did it as a family. We'd be like, look at this shit. You see this over here? My mom's like, this is ridiculous. And my dad would like make fun of the voices of the people. And it was just magical. It really was. And I'm with you. For me, the film wasn't Halloween. It was Poltergeist. Mm, and but I had a, an opposite reaction. It scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but it was like the first film to to scare me. Like when he's peeling his face away with the fried chicken and he's eating the fried chicken and then he's in the mirror. And that that whole sequence was probably one of my favorite horror sequences ever. Um, and that's when I when I, I that's the spark for me that I remember distinctly being like, I love this shit, you know, and. I was, you know, on the floor, similar to you watching a console TV on a shag carpet floor at my cousin's house in Bowling Green. There was nothing to do. And we're like, let's watch the movies. And they popped that on. And I was like glued. And the rest is, you know, history. And I think I was five when I watched that and never looked back. And so I just think it's beautiful to hear the similar stories and hear the lifelong love of these things. Cause it's just, to me, it's everything you know yeah i mean I, I love that we i love that as horror fans we all have that story i think i've always thought about that you know like and it's always something that we're a little too young and i think that's partly what makes horror such the genre that has the fans that it does because we were all pretty much too young to watch these and we were affected in some way i mean you don't you don't see conventions based on dramas or romantic comedies you that see conventions based on horror movies and it's such a visceral genre it, it really taps into something, you know, obviously, and that's a whole other conversation, but um, I love the fact that every time I talk to somebody who's into this stuff has a story. And I, what I love too, is if I meet somebody who like, you know, like example, like, you know, my wife's not really into horror. I mean, we love Halloween, the, the holiday, like she loves it. Like we, our whole family goes all out for that, you know? And, and she loves, I mean, it's not like she hates horror, but like, she's not gravitated towards, she's more of like Lord of the Rings and, and Harry Potter, which I love too. Right. Um, Nerd alert. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> she's not, she's not going to sit and watch slumber party massacre with me. You know, she's going to be like, nah, I'll pass. So I'm by myself. Her loss. Exactly. Totally. Right. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, if like say, and I'm just using this as an example, say she's a research scientist. So if we're at like a Christmas party and I'm meeting like somebody who's there, so it's total science person, not anybody that you would think would be into something and they hear what I do it's cool because a lot of times when this comes up, whether it's that or some other situation, it's like, Oh man, I remember when I saw, you know, poltergeist as a kid or evil dead or something, they still have a story at least of one time in their life when they saw something, most people do, even if they didn't become a lifelong fan. Yeah. They, you know what I mean? Like there's still something that they'll remember as soon as they hear about that. And they're like, wait a minute, you make shirts based on that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you, you're right. And like people do gravitate to like, even if they're not like diehard horror fan, they have that one thing. And it's one way that I use to connect with my students at mm. uh, Halloween. I'm going to do something like we're going to do things related to Halloween. Like 
I don't care. Like you're, you're going to love it. Like I love it, you know, and mm-hmm. they they always have a good time because I do um, a series of shorts uh, from crypt TV on YouTube. Yeah. So good. Their production quality is great. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, yeah. There's one called the thing in the apartment, mm-hmm. which is probably one of my favorites and the kids absolutely love it. And it scares the shit out of them. It's great. Um, but we like, we re- re- we uh, use it for English. You know, we talk about antagonists and protagonists. We talk about um, how they build the suspense and we do all these different things. Uh, and for my uh, arts class, we do like lighting and how they use sound design and all these different things, discuss elements of film and bring all of that in. And the kids love talking about it. They, they love talking about the horror films and, you know, they're like, oh, man, uh, did you see the new it, Mr. Morris? And, uh, you know, I have all these horror tattoos mm-hmm. and when, you know, I wear the short sleeves and whatnot and, you know, they're like, oh, you like you like scary movies. And then they kind of warm up to me, you know, and because they've all seen at least one that affected them in some way. And then they want to talk about it. And I just feel like it's such a wonderful genre in that way, because I think it impacts people. Like you said, it's visceral. You know, it's it's a part of us that we all have because we are all animals and we're all, mm-hmm. you know, derived from, you know, these cavemen of old that were violent and had to fight to survive. That's still in us. And I think horror speaks to that. It totally th- does. It's primal, you know, yeah. and, it's, and I know a lot of people talk about this, but it's true. Like it's like going on a roller coaster ride. It's a safe way to express your fear and, and anxieties. And, you know, when you go on a roller coaster and you're going upside down, you're getting thrown around, you know, in general, you're going to be completely safe, but it's scary as hell. Well, it's just like a, a movie, you know, and, and a lot of people, I mean, you know, people like us are a little bit more jaded. So we just like to watch it and watch people's heads get torn off. But some people yeah. Really, I mean, I still want to be scared. I still yeah. want to sit through a movie that scares the shit out of me. And I want to express that. And it's interesting. I, I, I think it was, um, uh, I forgot where I heard this. Maybe it was on the Haunters uh, movie. But basically, the haunt industry, so the haunted houses industry and everything, they had like one of their biggest ever seasons right after 9-11. Because look at the, the tragedy of that moment of that day and what happened to us as a country, people are like trying to figure out how to express this, you know, sadness and anger and all these emotions going into a haunted house and getting the wit scared out of you is a, a, a good and, and safe way to do it. You know, certainly better than drugs or violence or all this other stuff. And I think that's another misconception about people that are into horror is, you're violent and you're angry. And it's like, no, man, the fans at horror conventions are some of the coolest people ever, some of the chillest people ever. And they're awesome. And I've talked to a lot of people who run the hotels and they're like, no, we would prefer to have horror conventions than like, honestly, like some religious conventions and other things. Like they've told me that before uh, because they're more respectful. Yeah, you get your idiots, you get your drunk assholes that will do whatever. But in general, most people are so cool. And I think partly it's because we're kind of exercising some demons by watching this stuff. Yeah. It's funny. You said almost verbatim what Nathan Milner had to say about (laughs) it. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's, we go through this, uh, this catharsis consistently where we just go in and exercise our demons, if you will, you know, in the theater, you know, one, one (laughs) scare, one thing that terrifies us at a time, 
you know, because I'm with you. I like, I am jaded. We all are a little bit, you know, because I've seen so much stuff and you do when that movie, when you do find that film though, I find that it's all the more gratifying when you do get that movie that scares you and you hadn't had one scary like that in a while. I mean, for me, some examples are like hereditary. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had a movie stick with me like that in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, good on you, Ari Aster. Cause damn, um, James yeah. Wan with the conjuring films and the first insidious dude, I went oh, home, yeah. locked my windows, locked my doors. I like made sure the wife was in bed. I was like, they said, uh, it was actually interestingly enough. Uh, my class, my students are watching a quiet place right now. Uh, mm-hmm. and we're examining, um, sound design and all that stuff at the elements of a film unit. And, um, I had a student talk to me. He's like, Mr. Morris, you know what the uh, science says the scariest movie ever is. And I thought maybe it was the exorcist. And he goes, no, they said, uh, on this documentary I just watched, uh, it's insidious. And he said, it keeps your, uh, resting heart rate higher than any other movie that they've tested. And I go, that's dope as fuck. I'm glad you'd like, that was such a cool fact for him to share with me. And I was like, that makes sense. Cause that movie is terrifying. I, it's funny you say insidious because when I saw that in the theater and I, I didn't really have any preconceived notions about that film. I knew I wanted to see it, but I just kind of went in blind, you know, and Holy shit. I, it freaked me the fuck out. And it, uh, honestly, up until the Darth Maul segment, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, once that hit, it kind of took me out of it. I mean, it's still a great movie. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. just took me out of it a little bit. And I'll tell you this. Would that come out in 2011, I think? Something like that. No joke. I mean, I bought it when it came out. Whenever. I was honestly afraid to rewatch it until last year. Oh, and wow. I popped it in again last year because I wanted to watch the whole series because I hadn't seen anything past the first one. I hadn't seen two, three, or four. So I really wanted to visit the whole franchise and I, uh, which I still haven't done all of them. I saw two. I don't know. I think I've seen three and four yet, but anyway, I, um, I put that one in cause I really wanted to refresh my mind and I was a little, I was a little scared and I put it on and the shit that made me jump the first time still made me jump the second. Time. <laughs> and even though I kind of knew it was coming cause I remembered, I was like, damn it. They got me again, but it wasn't, it wasn't as like, uh, scary because you know you know the whole story or whatever right. but um it was still effective and that's that's a testament of a of a great film you know yeah james wan is a he's a master class awesome. beautiful color schemes just knows where to put the camera for the mm-hmm. you know the light and i always am a big fan of things that are not in your face things that are just <laughs> out of almost what should be out of screen but you see just this little figure walk by. There's no music. That's like, really well. Yeah, it just puts it off in there. You go, did I, yep. did I, did I see that? And I then it, it, it fucks with you. It's like psychological. Yep. It's great. Um, I'm curious to know something that you might be into um, that would surprise people. You know, knowing that you run this horror company, like, are you <laughs> like a, uh, are you, uh, what do they call the, the, uh, a brony? <laughs> The, the guys are in the middle of the One thing I will say, because again, it just comes to mind when, when people, you know, when I, certain questions like this come up, because it is a joke around the office too. But one thing I'm really into is Wilson Phillips. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I say that because it is such a 180 from a horror type thing. And you're Close like, your oh, eyes. exactly. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I know her. <laughs> just as a kid, 
um, when I was in, I think, eighth grade when uh, their first album came out, and I listened to it. it was in- the Bengals, right? Wasn't she in the Bengals too? No, this is uh, this is China uh, Phillips and um, Carney Wilson and uh, her sister that formed Wilson Phillips. They did Hold On and Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So basically, I. I don't know why I got turned on to it. I think maybe because I heard hold on. Cause that was literally playing every second of the day. On the <laughs> right. Um, but I got there, I got the single first and then I bought the, the t- actual tape and I wore that thing out. And I, I just have memories of me sitting in my room that year, either by myself or with my friend, Tim drawing comics, uh, reading Fangoria with that as the background. And it just never left me. And so I literally have a playlist on my phone that's called thinking. And it's just sometimes when I have to sit and just like think about whether it's strategies of upcoming releases or just anything, or I got to really just get my head into a space. I always put on Wilson Phillips um, because it just immediately puts me into a place. And I, no joke, man, I was, <laughs> I drive a, um, a Dodge Grand Caravan. So it's just a minivan. It's black at least, but, um, you know, I would, I, I was trying to make little, it sound cooler. I got you. Yeah. Everything's black on it. The black wheels, black, everything, but it's leather. Yeah. And so, uh, I pulled up to a stoplight. This was literally like two weeks ago and I was jamming to hold on in my car, my van. And these like kids next to me kind of like literally looked out the window. Like, what is that coming like, from? What is he doing? Van? And I was just like, you know, but, um, <laughs> I actually got a chance to, Really, I'll tell you the story really quick, but basically I was in Las Vegas several years ago at a, a show um, for like retail and, and stuff like that. And they, it's all, it's like, there's one half of it's for manufacturers and one half of it's for like uh, companies that put out shirts and other things and stuff. It's called the magic show. But I went to the manufacturer's side and I, I basically, I was on the wrong end of the building. So I literally had to walk like a mile and a half through the building because these things are huge. Um, and I was just, I'm like, I don't care. I'm listening to music. I'm just traipsing through this place. I don't, I don't mind walking. I'm just kind of strolling through. And I literally walked by a sign and went, um, what? And I turned around and it was like Wilson Phillips tonight was like a, like this free concert, but like a private thing for the guests only. I was, I got there because it was in the, in the event space. I got there an hour early. And when people started coming in, I went right to the front of the stage because I'm that guy and I stayed <laughs> there and literally I'm not kidding you when I'm saying that Carney was like a literal foot in front of me, like, like right there. In fact, she was holding my hand during one song and they each came over at one point. There was only like 75 people there. And I was literally like singing every song. I grabbed the set list. I was taking pictures and video, which I would normally not do during a concert, but I'm literally like arms reach from them. And then after the show, I waited out back for them to come out so I could get selfies with them. I am literally that guy. And then I went back to my hotel room. I didn't go and gamble. I don't really gamble anyway, but I didn't do any of that. I went back to my hotel room in Vegas and watched their their uh, show that they used to have. And what was it? Oxygen Network or something? I watched it on YouTube. I watched like eight episodes or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, that's something that people, when they hear, I'm like, what? And it's always a joke because like, if I'm in my office, like, again, this is sort of pre-COVID, but um, I'm in my office and if it's one of those times where I'm just got that on and I'll, Kimmy will hear it and she's like, oh shit, Wilson Phillips is on again. And I'm like, yep, it's one of those moments. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to make a Strangers 3 and where they use the innocuous music of uh, Mama Trad in the first movie. Yeah. I love when they take like, uh, or uh, Insidious, 
tiptoe yeah. by the window. And you can't listen to that song now without the hair raising on your end. I want him to do that with Hold On. We need oh to make my that God. song like make a creep a fight for you or or you know do the classic they're gonna do a trailer for a new movie so they have someone redo it and really slow it down oh like, yeah like billy eilish who does hold on <laughs> you know like literally like slow it down to really and all of a sudden boom comes out of you i'm doing it i'm gonna i'm gonna recut some trailer and put that music to it do it yeah like do like a dark version where they take the uh, the comedies like Mrs. Doubtfire, but it's cut as a horror film. But it's just hold on I love in the back. Oh Those God, are so good. Those yeah. are so good. Like The Shining um, as a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I, it can be done. Um, it was done. You can look it up. It's oh, great. It? Oh yes, shit, I haven't seen that it. one. It's hilarious. Oh well, I'm excited now. Uh, <laughs> um, I like to end these things. Um, in a you know very positive way um you've kind of talked about it uh, a little bit already is there a person um or director or some individual that has inspired you uh to continue to pursue what you're what you've been doing oh man that's that's deep um <laughs> it's you know it's it's funny it's hard it's I always, I actually had a text file on my phone for a while, and I don't know if I still do. People that I kind of look up to, because at one point, what I wanted to do was look back at that list and see if there was a common thread between mm-hmm. all of them. Because, I thought you were going to say shit on them. So no, no, look no. at me now, bit. No. I mean, the short answer is there's a lot of people I could name that have influenced me in some way or shape or another. Um, Wilson Phillips. It will exactly. Yeah, to pick one is very hard. I, I I know one that comes to mind almost more often than not in my mind is Howard Stern. Um, partially because I've really enjoyed his evolution as a uh, person and persona. Like I've been listening to him for quite a long time. I don't listen to him every day like I used to. Um, I don't, it, it's hard because when I'm working, I, it's hard for me to listen to other stuff. I will tune in though on the, on the app and listen to his interviews. Cause honestly, that's really the best part right now of his show. I mean, I love the banter and stuff. Don't get me wrong. And, but what I like about him as a person is in the eighties, I mean, he was definitely the shock jock and he clearly had a chip on his shoulder and he clearly he was working some shit out, you know, yeah. and yet he evolved as this person that he can still be as big as ever and yet have changed and evolved with the times. And I think that shows real growth. He doesn't have to be this guy that just does the fart man thing, you know, or (laughs) has strippers on, you know, like, yeah, yeah, there's still a lot of juvenile stuff in that show. And some of it's really funny. And honestly, some of it I tune out because I just don't care, you know? Um, But from to see where he started and to see where he is now and to have followed that journey live on the air for so many years and it's not and listen i'm I'm a huge fan but it's not like i've got like all this memorabilia and stuff about howard and all those other things he's just really one of those people that stands out to me and and i go god like that's a great that's a really great trajectory for a person and a career especially because he's bared it all for everybody he's been very honest with everybody throughout the last 40 years that's incredible and I, i just I think it's just a testament. And and again, to have that sort of legacy and still have people tuning in and still be the kind of bankable property he is. And now he can kind of do whatever he wants. That's pretty amazing. So I don't know that, that kind of hangs in the air for me as sort of like as an inspiration, you know, again, that's just one of many. I just picked that off the top of my head really. Um, 
it's not like I have any Howard tattoos or anything. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's just a person, but I'm inspired by that sort of drive. Actually one other person I'm very inspired by, because I I feel like I could never live up to him is uh, this guy by the name of David Goggins. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he's Uh, yeah. The ultra marathon runner, crazy person. He, I read his book. I know about him beforehand, but Holy crap. I read his book and, uh, that guy is just truly, truly, truly an inspiration. And and anytime I ever feel like I'm, I, I can't do it or whatever, I just, I just literally pull up Instagram and watch one of his videos and go, okay, that's, you know, <laughs> I, what the hell do I have to say about anything in my life right now? That guy is a fucking monster. <laughs> so he is incredible. And the best motivational speaker, because oh. he's a new breed where he's like, stop being a lazy bitch get off your fucking ass like he's just like real you know he's like stay hard and he just he's he's a special breed man in there there are literally zero excuses it's like it's like less than zero excuses you know what i mean it's like oh my god like i can't and it's real it's not put on for instagram it's not put on for anything else you can look into his eyes and go that guy doesn't give a shit about any of this stuff He's oh, doing yeah. it because he's doing it and he's just sharing with everybody. And that, I love that authenticity. And to me, like, that's like true. Like, man, I, when I listened to his book, I was like fired up. I'm like, Oh my God. And just, I don't know if you've read the book or not, but that day you made 700 shirt designs. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I ran to the Y is what I did. <laughs> You're like, Oh shit. Yeah. No, I was funny because the Y is not too far from here, but I literally was like, I'm not going to drive there because I go there like every day. I'm like, I'm not going to drive there. It's January. I'm going to fucking run in the snow. I don't care. And I literally put on Wilson Phillips and did that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beautiful way to end this. (laughs) So uh, I love that, man. Um, Phenomenal. It's been awesome talking to you, man. I really appreciate you giving me your time. Uh, Big fan of yours. I I love the work that you've been doing for years. Rocking probably got 80 years. Uh, designs in my drawer um so is there anything that you'd like to plug uh of course you feel free to plug your website uh and anything else that you got going on yeah i mean just you know we're we're at frightrags.com but it's fright-rags.com the little hyphen there on social media it's all one word frightrags at frightrags with instagram at frightrags at twitter um other than that i mean we, we we're coming out with releases pretty much every week so just you know jump on and, and sign up for um our email newsletter or our texts because we send out texts we don't like spam people it's usually just with releases and stuff and uh just stay tuned and you know things tend to go in and out of stock so just you know if you can and you want something jump on it when you can and if not then hopefully it'll come back and you'll have a chance but and and just you know appreciative of everybody's support i mean we can't do what we do without our customers you know i mean we we wouldn't be around if it weren't for people supporting us. So it's just one of those things we never forget and, or take for granted. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Beautiful.